Just a few announcements before we continue on into our service. Again, thank you for joining us. Encourage you to like and comment and share this video with your friends and, and with anyone who might be interested. We just love to get the word out and point people to Jesus. Um, prayer tonight at 7.30. We've also got youth events Tuesday and Friday and our Bible study is Wednesday night. You're welcome to join us. All that info is on our website to find out how to join and how to get involved. Also wanted to just say thank you to everyone who's taken time to continue to give during this season. We understand for some it's a hard season, there's financial difficulty, but we thank you for your ongoing generosity and faithfulness uh, and donations to the church. I've really been it's so encouraging. And I know the board was looking at it, wondering how we would do. And the Lord has really provided through you, through your faithfulness. So thank you for continuing to give. And the ways to give, uh, again, are on the website. You can do e-transfer. Uh, you can go through Canada Helps. You can drop something off at the church if you would like. But thank you, thank you, thank you so much for your offerings. We so appreciate your donations. And again, just to encourage you, our uh, congregational team is reaching out to connect with people through the week. Um, and so if they give you a call, take a few minutes to, to share together, encourage each other, pray together. We want to stay as connected as we can during this time. Bless you. Friends, would you prepare your hearts as we uh, hear God's word for us this morning? Morning, friends. Our scripture readings this morning will be from Matthew chapter 23, verses 11 to 17, and 23 to 28. And the second one will be from 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 to 16. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter in yourself, nor allow those who would enter in to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourself. Woe to you, you blind guides, who say, If anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by an oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin, have neglected the weightier matters of the law justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and in self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside might be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones, all uncleanliness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Our second reading is from 1 Timothy 
chapter 1, verses 12 to 16. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, pointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemy, persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I was the chief. But I received mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends with brothers and sisters around the world and through the centuries, let's confess our faith together with the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Friends, would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you again for this morning. We pray that you would speak through your word to us. You would open our hearts, Lord, challenge us, convict us, grow us in you, we pray. Change and transform us by the power of your spirit. Uh, Lord, we thank you that you are at work in our lives and in our world. We turn our hearts and focus on you now, Lord. Do your work in us, we pray. And may my words be your words for your people. May the, the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. When I first began pastoring, I remember having a conversation with this lady. Uh, she didn't come to church a whole lot, and her husband definitely didn't come to church. And they were Christians, um, but they didn't want to come to church. And the reason, she told me, was that they'd been hurt. They'd been hurt in church, and, and many of us have been hurt by people in church. Um, and the, but the reason was this. They felt that the Christians they knew in this church uh, or the church, you know, had been hypocritical, that they shouldn't, and they shouldn't surround themselves with such people, right? They'd been hurt because these people had, had, you know, kind of lived out one thing on Sundays, or said they lived something out on Sundays, and then when Monday came, it was like they lived out something else. It was like they were two different people, right? They kind of put on this religious facade on Sundays, but on Monday at work, the mask came off and they didn't like what they saw when the mask came off. And so this had hurt their experience of church. And as so often happens, though it's the complete opposite of what the New Testament uh, would expect, they just felt they didn't need church. They felt that they could just continue to be Christians kind of privately 
they kind of lost their taste for corporate worship or discipleship or fellowship or opportunities to serve, that sort of thing. Of course, the apostles would have found that very strange and, and unhealthy. You know, Jesus calls us to be a body together. Um, but all that aside, that's a whole other conversation. What they'd been turned off by was the hypocrisy of Christians. The hypocrisy of Christians. And they're not alone. Lee Strobel, who uh, is a kind of a well-known Christian author and speaker, was an atheist before he converted to Christianity. And he said this. He said Christian hypocrisy was just a huge issue for him. He said, holier-than-thou Christians repelled me. Smug and self-righteous, they painted themselves as being much better than they really were. And tarred people like me as being much worse than we really were. As if every social problem in the country stemmed from the fact that everyone didn't agree with them 100%. That angered me. The other folks who chased me away from the faith were the cosmetic Christians. They had a skin-deep spirituality that looked pretty good on the outside, but it didn't penetrate deep enough to change their behaviors and their attitudes. Frankly, I don't think anything repulses people like the hypocrisy of cosmetic Christians. Today, our tough question that we're going to explore is why do Christians seem hypocritical or judgmental? Or maybe put another way, how come Christians say they live one thing, say they believe one thing, and then go and do something else? Like my friend who'd experienced this, like Lee Strobel. And maybe, maybe you're watching and you've experienced this. You've been put out by someone in the church who you think should have lived one way and then did something differently. And that really hurts you. And you're not alone in that. That's happened to me too. Here's what's interesting is Jesus has some pretty strong words for religious people, for spiritual people whose lives do not reflect what they believe. Jesus has strong words for people who preach one thing and practice something else. So let's look a little more closely at Matthew 23, this passage that was read for us. If you have a Bible, this would be helpful. Take a look at how it's laid out. Verses 1 to 12, Jesus warns the crowd and his disciples not to follow the false leadership of the Pharisees. This is kind of Jesus and the Pharisees kind of coming at it. And then verses 13 to 39, Jesus pronounces these woes on the Pharisees. He, um, you know, for their deadly actions. And the reason for Jesus getting kind of riled up about this is because the leader's hypocrisy was actually leading people astray, much like it had for my friend. Now remember, the Pharisees' official function is to interpret the law of Moses. And when they did that well, Jesus says in verse 2, yes, observe whatever they tell you. However, we also know the Pharisees had added all sorts of extra rules and regulations to the biblical commandments. It'd be like us taking something cultural, like, um, oh, you shouldn't wear hats in church, that kind of thing, or something about clothing, and saying, no, this is as essential as our core beliefs. If you don't do this, you're not a Christian, right? And so the Pharisees had wanted to accurately interpret the scripture, but in doing so had kind of gone beyond what scripture itself, what God himself had called people to live out. And so they started treating all their sort of extra practices and traditions as though they were as authoritative as scripture. And this is where Jesus has a problem. He's not interested in this. 
In verse 4, Jesus says that they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. And these are sort of the extra traditions of the rabbis, right? It became this massive obligation in people's hearts. And this had begun to twist the Pharisees' hearts. And Jesus goes on to point out the Pharisees' lust for, for public approval, to be seen by others, to get the best seats, to kind of boost their egos, their prideful egos, and to be seen as sort of elite spiritual people. This is, this is what turns people off when, when people who say they're following God are actually full of themselves, full of pride, and are kind of twisted up inside. These are people who say they're loving him and loving, loving God and following him, but their actions show themselves to be prideful. They're full of themselves. Now, before we go pointing any fingers and thinking of people that, oh yeah, that person's like that, right? It's good for us to ask, is that same sort of attitude present in my heart? Do I start to see myself as better than others? Do I have issues with pride? Do I have issues uh, in my own sort of ego where I think I'm really something? And I get mad when people don't do things my way, right? Jesus has some strong words for those of us that struggle with pride and in the end end up struggling with hypocrisy. Jesus says true disciples need to look to him for ultimate authority. And that's why he says the thing about not saying father or uh, uh, doctor or teacher. The, the idea is, is he's not prohibiting the disciples from literally calling their dad's dad or calling the teacher a teacher. What he's saying is don't use these titles the way the Pharisees use them. Don't start to wrongly exalt leaders and reinforce human pride. Don't go down that road. And so whenever we talk about hypocrisy or being judgmental, we need to remember our own sinful tendencies towards pride. So Jesus calls us instead to give all of our pride and all of our anger over to him and allow the Holy Spirit to start to grow us in his love and his peace and his gentleness. So Jesus identifies the root of our sort of hypocritical attitudes that we can have as, as a sort of flaunting of moral superiority without love. Right, flaunting a moral superiority, but without love. It's one thing to say, yes, we know the truth. It's another thing to do that without any sort of grace to someone else. So starting in verse 13, Jesus starts declaring these woes on the Pharisees, on their, uh, their hypocritical actions. These, are all, these criticisms are almost uh, an echo, a reverse echo of the seven blessings uh, in the Beatitudes. Uh, in that case, this is what true discipleship looks like. Now we're getting the woes of what sort of this false discipleship looks like. And now think of these woes as sort of a mixture of kind of condemnation, but also regret and sorrow. This is all the ways the Pharisees' hypocrisy is hurting their witness. Now think about this. The first woe, verse 13, we're going to go through these pretty quickly. The first woe is the shut door. Right? These false teachers are drawing people away from the kingdom of heaven instead of toward it because of their character. They're shutting people out from God. That's not great. The second woe is sort of entrapped converts. The Pharisees have a zeal in teaching others about the faith and they do so by placing all these extra burdens on them, but they're making people feel like it's impossible to come to God. The third woe, verse 16, is binding oaths. They made a, a system of distinguishing an oath's power based on kind of where you made it. And so it made people really focus on superficial things like, oh, I made my oath over here, I made my oath over there, uh, instead of looking at the larger focus of God's calling upon the masses' people. 
The fourth woe, verse 23, is about neglecting the weightier matters of the law. And this is where it really starts to hit home. The Pharisees were scrupulous in giving kind of their 10% of, of even the little herbs in their herb garden to give as an offering. So they were really particular about following that exact kind of letter of the law, but they were actually neglecting God's justice and God's mercy and God's faithfulness. They were so particular on doing the little thing just right that they missed the very heart of God behind why you do it. And that flows right into the fifth woe, verse 25. The Pharisees looked really clean on the outside, but they were full of greed and indulgence on the inside. They make their lives look great. You might say their Facebook accounts have the, have the greatest hits and the best edited photos, right? But their inner lives are spiritually bankrupt. They're broken and they're lost and they're growing mold. And that leads us right into the sixth woe, verse 27. Jesus says they're like whitewashed tombs. Outwardly, there's this, it seems like these people have beautiful granite or marble, but they're fancy looking decorative monuments, but really they're standing for death and decay. And finally, the seventh woe, which is the big one, verse 29. Jesus links the hypocritical attitude of the Pharisees, looking great on the outside, but dead in the inside, blocking people from the kingdom of God, being scrupulous in certain things, but missing the heart of God. Jesus says this same hypocritical attitude is the same attitude that was found in the people who sought to kill the prophets in the Old Testament. And why is that? It's because the religious leaders were beginning to want Jesus executed because he was calling them out for their elitism and, 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 and holding out on calling people back to God. So just as the prophets were so often calling people back to faithfulness, back to living for God, then that's what they were killed for. So the Pharisees are now heading down that road as well, wanting to kill Jesus the prophet and much more than a prophet for pinpointing their religious elitism and their, hip, their, you know, their hypocrisy uh, instead of calling all of them back to God. Here's the big point for us today. When people express their anger at Christian hypocrisy, guess what? They're in really good company. Jesus is upset when religious people are hypocrites too. Jesus agrees with people's frustrations regarding hypocrisy. The problem with hypocrisy isn't God. The problem is the people. So when our friends are maybe frustrated by Christian hypocrites, they're actually on the same side as God. God feels the same way. He's frustrated about it too. And so when someone says Christians are like this, they're hypocritical, they're not doing that well, and if it's true, then we can say, you know what? God feels the same way. You're right. We are hypocrites. We don't always live this out well. We fail all the time. And that's why we need God. We don't come because we're perfect. We come because we're so in need of him. And he makes us right. He makes us whole. He cleanses us. Mark Middleberg puts it this way. He says, Our friends naturally see Christians' hypocritical behavior as being unacceptable, but they need help to see. Christ feels the same way. The issue is our sin and sometimes our unwillingness to own up to it. 
When someone accuses us of being hypocritical, we need to respond with gentleness and grace. And maybe we need to apologize. Maybe we have been hypocritical. Say, you're right. On the other hand, we may just be falsely accused because people don't like our faith or, or they don't believe in God or they've been hurt by, by the church in some way, as, as I told my story at the beginning of this message. There can be all sorts of reasons for people to be upset at, at the Christian or to call them a hypocrite. And some are legitimate and some are less so. We don't want to downplay that. Um, as harmful as hypocrisy is to Christianity, you don't have to look very far, right, to find a Christian who's fallen into serious sin. And, and, and then there's those who claim that they're Christians, but they fail to allow their faith to significantly affect their lives. Right? They're not actually growing in Christ. They're not really following Jesus as disciples. They say they're saved, but they haven't let God come and start to do his work in their lives. And that point opens us up to, to the second point, which is we don't actually look to ourselves as perfect people. We need to point our friends and ourselves all the time back to Jesus. Right? He's the perfect example. He's the one who won't let us down. My faith isn't in Christians. My faith is in Christ. My faith isn't in Christianity or the people. My faith is in Jesus. And that's why we need to stop relying on our own moral performance. And as Hebrews 12, 2 puts it, fix our eyes on Jesus, who's the author and perfecter of our faith. He's the one who 1 Peter 3.18 tells us never sinned but died to bring sinners safely home to God. We're not offering our friends and family Christianity or Christians. We're offering them Christ. We're offering them a relationship with God. The primary issue regarding the validity of Christianity, right, whether this is true or not, is not Jesus' followers, but Jesus himself and what he offers to those who follow him. And that brings us to our first video. I've got two videos for us. This first one is answering the question, aren't Christians just intolerant, judgmental hypocrites? Let's watch this together. feeling the love of this question. Thanks, Gareth. Um, let me just start by saying to this question that if you're here and you're someone who actually has really experienced intolerance or Christians who you felt like they've done nothing but judge you, then I just want to say I'm really sorry for that. I'm sorry if that has been your experience, if you're someone who's been put off Christianity because of the behavior of Christians. I think um, as, as Christians, speaking on behalf of my family, the church, um, I think we have to hold our hands up and say that yes, there are Christians who are intolerant, judgmental, and hypocritical. And I think that there are two possible reasons why this might be the case if you've ever come across somebody like this. The first reason would be uh, because while this is someone who may label themselves a Christian, actually what's going on in their lives isn't necessarily authentic Christianity. I met someone the other day who told me they were a huge Star Wars fan. And so I immediately said, oh, I love Star Wars too. But then this person started talking to me about like Ewoks and, and, and Siths and, and all these different kind of like starships. And I was so out of my depth. And that's when I suddenly realized, okay, when, when he says he's a Star Trek, a Star Wars fan, and I say I'm a Star Wars fan, we mean completely different things. What I mean is, 
like I once saw the movie. Whereas this guy, he's like read all the books, he owns the t-shirts. I'm pretty sure he goes to all the conventions dressed up in costume. Like the force was strong with him. And um, all that to say, I think the same thing happens with Christianity. You know, you meet people who will label themselves Christian. They may even say they're doing things in the name of Christianity, but actually it doesn't necessarily mean that they really understand the faith that they're claiming. Is this someone who's actually waking up in the morning and saying, hi God, I'm excited to spend the day with you. What do you want to teach me today? How do you want to change my heart? The second thing, the second reason someone might be this way who's a Christian, they may actually be a very authentic, legitimate Christian but they're still a work in progress. And actually, in a bizarre way, this kind of encourages me uh, because what it, what it helps me to see is that Christianity isn't about being a perfect person. And I find great comfort in that because I know that I'm definitely not a perfect person. In fact, I'm having a really good day if I manage uh, not to be judgmental, hypocritical, or intolerant. And to be honest with you, that doesn't always happen. Um, but the message of Christianity isn't that it's for perfect people. If you're out there thinking, oh my goodness, I'm just not good enough for Christianity. I can't follow all these rules. I can't be perfect. Actually, God, God meets us where we're at. He starts with us as we come to him, and then we go on a journey as he begins to work on our hearts and change and transform us. And and I love that about the Christian faith, because everything else about me is only going to go downhill from here and get less attractive. But the one thing I have a chance to get better at is that maybe my heart could become more beautiful as everything else gets less beautiful over the years. And that's, that's what God is doing. That's how God is at work in Christians. He makes us more beautiful, but he meets us as the unpolished version. So maybe you've encountered Christians who are still on that journey and figuring it out. The final thing I want to say is this. No one becomes a Christian um, because of other Christians. They become a Christian because of Jesus Christ. So if you want to judge whether whether Christianity is worth following, look at the person who founded the faith. And when I look at Jesus, I see somebody who, far from being intolerant, he's the guy who gets rejected by the other religious leaders because he keeps hanging around with prostitutes and sinners and lepers and everyone else that, that the religious people don't want to spend time with. When I look at Jesus, he's not someone who's judgmental, but he's somebody who, when, when the religious leaders are about to stone a woman to death for committing adultery, he steps in and says, let the person who's without sin cast the first stone, basically saying, unless you're perfect, you have no right to judge. Ironically, he's the only one who is perfect, and he still says, um, I don't condemn you. Go away and sin no more. And lastly, out of everybody that I know, Jesus is the only person who isn't a hypocrite. He's the only person who's exactly who he claimed to be, God, come to live among us on earth to show us what God is really like. So if you're trying to figure out, do I want to be a Christian, and you've been put off by the way that Christians live, can I just encourage you to take a look at the life of Jesus? Is this someone who is worth following? And what I find when I look at him is that he is exactly the kind of man I want to spend time with and exactly the kind of God that I love to worship. And I just commend him to you. Fantastic. Thanks, Gu. Let's give it up for our four panelists. Thanks, guys. Again, coming back to Mark Middleberg, he says this, we need to encourage our friends to put their faith not in the flawed efforts of frail Christians, but in the powerful and proven person of Jesus Christ himself. And here's another point worth making. The Bible tells us there's some people who are hypocritical, who say they're Christians, but they aren't really Christians. Titus 1.16 says such people claim they know God, but they deny him by the way they live. And I think back to Jesus' words about knowing a tree by its fruit. Uh, You know, you can tell the health and growth of a tree 
by the way in which their lives show uh, result in things that are life-giving and good or not, right? They deny him, says Titus, by the way they live. 2 Timothy 3.5 says, They'll act righteous, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. This is that cosmetic Christian kind of thing that Lee Strobel was talking about. So when we remember that people who claim to be Christians but aren't followers of Christ are sometimes the people who are doing stuff that's really hypocritical, that can be helpful because we can say, well, we don't actually need to defend their actions. They're clearly not actually living for Jesus. There's something else going on here. Um, Middleburg puts it this way in his book. He says, by way of analogy, uh, if there was someone who was a witch doctor who was doing all kinds of stuff, you wouldn't say, oh, therefore all doctors are bad, right? Like this guy does not represent, accurately represent the medical community, right? You'd be like, that guy's not part of our group. He's doing his own thing over there. And just because I'm a doctor, I don't need to justify his actions. He's not part of it, right? In the same way, we could say, um, there's that person who says they're a Christian, but they, they're not following Jesus. I don't need to try and defend him as though he's part of the faith, right? Now, there's truth to that, but that's really, really hard to discern. It's really, you don't want to be the kind of person who just says, oh, that person's not really a Christian. That's, that's why. You know, you got to be very, very careful about that. That said, Jesus does say there are people who will be false religious leaders. They'll be political posers. You know, they'll do all kinds of inhumane acts and injustices in Jesus' name. And that has happened all through the centuries. But we need to be discerning to help our friends see that their crimes are their own fault. You know, the person who commits those crimes, that's their fault. That's their issue. It's not the fault of God who tells us to be love, to forgive, to show mercy, to help the helpless, etc. Does that make sense? So we need to be careful. You know, if someone says, well, so-and-so committed all these atrocities and they said they were a Christian, and go, well, clearly by the way they were living, they, they weren't really following Jesus. Or if they thought they were, they weren't doing it very well. They never read their Bible very well. They didn't really listen to what Jesus has to say about it because it's reflected in their actions. That's what Titus gets to. It's reflected in how they live. Do we, do we, you know, point fingers and start telling people you're not a real Christian because you're not doing this? Ah, I'd be very, very careful about that. But we need to also say, listen, just because this one person committed this atrocity doesn't mean all Christians everywhere support that, right? Just because this one person did it, that's their thing. They need to be held to account for that issue. But I don't need to defend that necessarily when clearly they don't represent us in the same way the witch doctor doesn't represent the whole medical community. So where are we at? Where are we at in this whole issue? First thing, God is also pretty down on hypocritical behavior, not a fan. Second thing, Jesus, not fellow Christians, is the one we believe in. We, he's the source of our faith. And we know that there are some who claim to be disciples of Jesus and they're not. And we don't have to really defend their actions as indicative of Christian living. We point people to Jesus. My faith's in Jesus, not in how good or not Christians can be, right? And here's the main thing to say. Again, this is our problem. Like, I'm part of the problem. There's times I'm a hypocrite. There's times I don't do what I'm supposed to do, right? We all struggle with this. We're a fallen human race. Romans 3.23 says we've all sinned. Um... We have a high calling, grace, you know, we've been given grace by Jesus, but it isn't about me 
bettering myself to be better. Uh, you know, I turn to Jesus. I'm called to put away my sin and come to Christ. I'm a work in progress, right? I have victories. I have defeats. There's days that are awesome. It's a new beginning. There's days where it's a major setback. I feel terrible about it. But it's one thing to admit I've missed the mark and I fall short. I'm also, there's times I'm a hypocrite too where I don't live this out well. There's one, there, there's something about saying, yeah, I, I'm struggling with this too, is different from pretending I'm perfect when I'm not, right? It's one thing to, to be a, an honest, repentant sinner, uh, struggling to be like Christ, following him, learning to be like him, and the hypocrite who just refuses to come clean or acknowledge their faults, right? There's, that's different. It's different to be repentant and say, I'm part of the problem. That's why I look to Jesus is different than someone saying, no, I'm right all the time. You know, I, I'm, no, I've, I've, never, I've never made a mistake here, right? And this gets brought out in our, in our next video here. Let's watch this together. Um, this is a video about how can Christians respond to charges of hypocrisy. It's quite interesting. Let's watch this together. Someone asked, uh, I know that God has forgiven me, but how can I be credible with a non-believer who knows my sinfulness? How do I deal with charges of hypocrisy? Uh, the charges yeah. of Guilty. We're all hypocrites. That's why we need a savior. In fact, when people say I can't go to church because there's too many hypocrites down there, I always say, come on down, pal. We got room for one more. <laughs> we're all, yeah, that's why we need a savior. If we were perfect, we wouldn't need a savior. In fact, in one of my debates with Christopher Hitchens, I said, Christopher, I'm a hypocrite. I can't live up to this book. I can't live up to what Jesus said. But if I could, I wouldn't need him. And so when Christopher went through all the stuff about God is not great, how religion poisons everything, he's right. That God, that God well, God is great. He's a, that's, he, he got that wrong. In fact, his brother Peter Hitchens said the book should be called not God is not great. It should be called Man is Not Great. That's right. Because it's all about all the evil men have done. Right. And we have done it. That's why we need a Savior. So he's right that we've done evil things, but he's proven our worldview. We're, we're fallen. We need a Savior. That's correct. Mm. Good word. Especially since he doesn't believe God exists. So, so all the nonsense that he is attributing to humanity is not to God, it's to human beings. But then he goes on elsewhere and says there's no such thing as evil. So on the one hand, he starts decrying all the evil. On the other hand, he says without God, there's no such thing as good or evil. The most self-defeating set of propositions you ever want to read, Mr. Dawkins has given to us. Yep. Mm, that's good. I think the charge of hypocrisy to a person who's maybe a bit sensitive to their own life means to how to rest and accept the forgiveness of God, but not to make some kind of perfection the challenge. I mean, the very fact, the woman at the well, I'm sure she didn't transform overnight into being a super saint. Um, and any Christian we know who's experienced the grace of God, we're not, no one said it's about, forgi it's about perfection, it's about forgiveness. So we have to, you know, not put ourselves again under a level of change that we can't expect. Be honest, hypocrisy is willful denying of the truth. Failure or struggle, embracing the truth is a different issue. Mm. And I think we need to, you know, give ourselves some permission mm. that we are trusting Jesus, following him, um, but we're not trying to be perfect. We're mm. trying to be forgiven and faithful.
Don't be surprised if there's one group that will appear to be hypocritical more than others. I mean, if, if you didn't know me before, you don't know what my personal... I didn't have a publicly known, holy, high, perfect standard that you could judge me by because you don't know what my standard is. For all you know, the behavior you just saw is entirely in line with the worldview that I hold because I held it privately for the most part with many nuances. And unless you were to interview those nuances out of me, you wouldn't even know. But here with Christians, we hold to a publicly known, perfect moral standard standard, get ready to fail all the time. Mm. If I failed before, I would just say, no, that's entirely consistent with who I am. Right? You can't call me a hypocrite, but of course now you can call me a hypocrite because you know the target I'm shooting for. Look, if you throw the dart against the wall, it's easy to go and draw the bullseye around wherever the dart lands. Okay? (laughs) But when the bullseye is there first, you will see that I miss it a lot. Mm. You don't know if I'm missing it otherwise. And that is what our expectation ought to be as Christians. I'm going to get called out a lot because I will always, on a daily basis, mess this up. And if you're going to judge me on that basis, then yeah, I'm a hypocrite, of course. But like you said, I I sometimes think that on this side of the cross, the difference is that I still struggle with some of the same sins that I struggled with before, Mm -hmm. but I celebrated them before. I never gave a second thought to them before. Now when I do something like that, I'm just tormented because it's the spirit inside of me that's wrestling with my, the fallen nature of my, my, my humanness, right? It's that thing that Paul talks about in Romans 7. I, I'm so angry that I cannot stop it, right? I know what I should do, I don't do it. Or I know I shouldn't do this and I do it. And I'm, I'm just so sick of it, right? But I never, was, I never had those kinds of conversations in my head before because mm-hmm. before I wasn't struggling with this. I never thought, I was celebrating it. So what, you do your thing, my, do my thing, you shut up, I'll shut up too. Mm. Don't, 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 don't even get involved in that conversation. But of course now, that's why if you, if you decide that you are going to accept the forgiveness of Christ today, and you have not done that yet, that you've always been your own standard, well then get ready, not for the easy life, for the right life. You get ready. I'm not a Christian. Like I said before, I always say it all the time. I'm not a Christian because it works for me because it doesn't work for me. It's hard to do this. I feel like I'm always failing. Right? And before, I never felt that way. But I'm a Christian because it's true. And wouldn't you rather be in the inconvenient truth than a convenient lie? Mm. And so I think we have to realize that, yes, you are bound, if you join us in this, Get ready to join the club of hypocrites who need the forgiveness of a Savior. Mm, That's a good word. One more question. Uh... I love that quote that one of the guys said on the panel. He said, hypocrisy is willful denying of the truth, failure, or struggle, as we embrace the truth as a different thing. Right? Let me read it again. Hypocrisy is the willful denying of the truth, but failure or struggle as we are seeking to embrace the truth is a different thing. We're trusting Jesus, following him, but we're not trying to be perfect. We're seeking to be forgiven and faithful. I love that. We're only perfect, folks, as we let Christ come and cover our sins. Uh, holiness is Christ in me, not in my own strength. It's in him that I'm complete, not in my own effort. And here's the good news. Christ died to save us from all our sins, including the sins of hypocrisy, including the times we mess this up. 1 Timothy 1, 15, 16, uh, as was read for us. Let me read it again. This is so good. It says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. 
But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. When it comes to being accused of hypocrisy or judgmentalism, we need to remember God's not impressed with arrogance, and if that's our attitude, we need to change it. No one likes an arrogant Christian, right? When we're sharing our faith or we're talking about Jesus, we need to do so with love and humility, not a better-than-thou attitude. We're not smarter. We're not better. We're not more worthy. We've been blessed because of what God has done in and through us, and he invites all who will come to share in that. All who will repent and believe are welcome to this table, right? Some will point out that we're being hypocritical or being judgmental, because they don't like that we're making truth claims at all. That we're saying there is right or wrong. We talked about that uh, in an early, earlier message in this series. About right or wrong and moral objectivity. Here's the irony. That the moment you tell someone you're being judgmental, you have been judgmental, right? Um, so you kind of start doing it the minute you start making that a big deal. When you condemn Christians for acting that they think they're right and they think someone else is wrong, you are acting as though you think you are right and someone else is wrong. We all do this. We all assume the things we believe are right, you know, and then when we realize something's wrong, we change it. We ideally change our behaviors. If I, if I was told, no, Nicholas, two plus two is not five, two plus two is four, then I go, oh, okay. Two plus two is four, and off I go, believing that that is what's true, right? So we all hold to the idea that what we believe is what's right. It's not wrong for someone to think they are actually right about something, right? <laughs> we all do this. Now, what about when, when the Bible says, well, judge not and you will not be judged, right? The Matthew, Matthew 7, 1, that kind of stuff where it says, you know, don't be judging. What does that really mean? Well, it doesn't mean you can't judge anything at all. Jesus actually clarifies this later in John 7, 24. He, he says, you know, it is right to make a proper judgment. Jesus is condemning a, a critical, uh, you know, condescending, arrogant attitude as though we have a moral superiority. And that's what we saw in Matthew 23. That doesn't mean we deny the truth. It doesn't mean we don't stand for the truth. Um, but we can do so with love. Now, people may call that judgmental, but that is their prerogative, all right? That's okay, as long as we are not coming across uh, heavy-handed and arrogant in a way that, that is not Christ-honoring. Jesus does tell us to exercise proper discernment, right? To discern what's true, who we follow, how we care for our families, how we parent. We're called to discern some stuff. We're called to judge some stuff sometimes, right? And that's okay, so here's how to talk about it. I think I would say this. Hypocrisy is very harmful, right? When people are upset about it, they're in good company. Jesus gets upset about it too. And he alone is the one we look to. We're not looking to fellow Christians. We're looking to Jesus himself. We come together with fellow Christians to encourage each other because Jesus calls us to. But my faith is not in so-and-so being awesome. My faith is in Christ, in his death and in his resurrection. That's the core center of Christianity. My faith is not contingent on whether or not our pastoral team never fails, right? Or never sins. Your faith should not be contingent on whether Pastor Nick uh, makes a mistake or not. I'm going to screw up. I do all the time, right? I'm going to mess this up. Um, but your faith is in Christ, not in Nick. Thank goodness, 
right? I can't save you. Faith needs to be in Jesus. He alone can free us from sin. Our faith's in him, not in fellow Christians. Here's the other thing again as we close this up. We all deal with hypocrisy to some degree, and we need to be honest and repentant, not haughty, not arrogant. We want to point our friends towards Jesus with truth and with love and with grace, but we need to be honest about the ways we can contribute to being hypocritical. The validity of Christianity, says Middleburg, does not depend on your ability to defend every fallen Christian. It's okay to simply admit the truth that Christians fail. Christians do fail. So we listen with empathy and understanding. We recognize Christians do fail. And that's why we can point them again and point ourselves again back to Jesus and say, yeah, I fail. I'm part of it too. That's why my faith isn't in people always being what they're supposed to be, but in Jesus who never, never fails. He never, he never leaves me. He's trustworthy. He's good. Our faith is in him, not in ourselves. Amen. Friends, would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you that you uh, offer all who will come, all who repent and believe, all who call on your name, you offer us new life. You offer to cleanse us from our sins. You offer us a fresh start. And Lord, you, offer, you, you choose to, to walk with us as we seek to grow in you. And Lord, we recognize the times we've been hypocritical. Lord, we repent of the ways in which we have not followed you. Where we have broken trust, where we've broken relationship, where we've deliberately sinned, where we've given in to that, that habitual sin again. Lord, we just repent in this moment. Lord, we come with, um, with hearts, Lord, grieved at the ways in which we fall away from you. But Jesus, we also in this moment look to you and the assurance of your word that says as we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So today, Lord, we lay down the burden of our sin. We give it to you. We pray you would cleanse our hearts and make us clean. Lord, would you help us in the moments where the accusation of hypocrisy comes our way? We, we live up now to a, a standard that's outside of us. People can say, this is how you're supposed to live, and you haven't lived that out. And Lord, I pray that we would be willing to say, we don't always do this well. We make mistakes, individually and as a church. But our hope and our faith isn't in our performance always being right, but in you, Jesus. Your work on the cross and your resurrection. And so, Lord, I pray that you would settle in our hearts just how much you love us, how you promise to be with us when we face challenges, when we face people who are uh, aggressive against us, Lord. I pray by your spirit you would encourage each one who's listening. Give us courage. Encourage us, Lord. Give courage. That's what that means. Help us, Lord, to live for you especially during this time. And Lord, we thank you that our performance isn't 
uh, isn't what makes us a Christian, but that um, you you do, Lord. You do that work in us. And I pray, as Titus reminds us, Lord, that we need to be living out our faith. We should be. It should be evident that we're living for you by the way we act, by the fruit of our lives. And I pray, Lord, you would grow us more and more into that reality, into that truth, that our lives would bear much fruit for you. Lord, at this time, we just pray for our community. We lift up the needs here in town. We, we pray for our frontline workers, Lord. We thank you for um, the recoveries of so many who've had COVID-19. And we, we pray for those that are still affected around the world, Lord, in our country. Father, we pray you would continue to move and work and speak through this pandemic helping us to focus upon you, to call our attention to you as you have disrupted the normal routines of our lives, Lord. We pray that people would become hungry and thirsty for you and you would lead us into opportunities to share our faith with our friends and our family. Lord, that we would do so with love and with grace, not with arrogance, not hypocritically, but Lord, with, with your, your humility and your gentleness and your love. Lord, we just lift up the needs in our church family. Those that are sick, we pray you'd be with each one. Those going through treatments, Lord. Families where the kids are at home and it's starting to feel a little hectic. Those that maybe can't join in with this service, Lord, online. Um, and they're feeling lonely or isolated. Lord, I pray you'd help us to reach out and to love those that are... Uh, not as connected or maybe can't be part of some of the things we're trying to do. Lord, I pray you just knit us together as your body, as your family. We look forward to the day when we will be gathered again together. Uh, Lord, we pray for our, our political leaders, um, that you would just give them wisdom. Lord, bless them and bless their families. We just pray for um, the work of your spirit to be um, leading and guiding and directing them both in their decisions, but also personally, Lord, in their lives that that they would come to a saving relationship with you, Lord. And with the words that you taught us, we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. There is a truth that so
I pray that you have been uh, encouraged and blessed through this service as we've worshiped together, as we've looked at God's word, um, that you've been encouraged in your faith. If you are watching this, you've never come to faith in Christ and you are interested in what that's all about, I just uh, get in touch with us. Let me know. Write it in, in the comments. We would love to pray with you and, and, and lead you into a life with Jesus. He invites you into that today. He loves you. He cares for you. Um, again, just note the different events happening uh, with the church, uh, Bible study and prayer, youth events. We just love to keep you connected and to be involved as best as we can during this time. Uh, again, thank you for giving. Just really appreciate you all. Before you go, let me send you off with the benediction. Children of God, loved and forgiven through our Lord Jesus Christ, May you go with a spirit of gentleness and mercy, not arrogant, not elitist, but full of the grace and truth of Jesus. May you go willing to endure the, the criticisms of others, knowing that Christ himself has endured the same. May you be encouraged in your walk. May the the peace and the presence and the protection of the Holy Spirit go with you. 
And may his grace and his love overshadow you and your family today. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Bless you. Go in peace. I love you. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.